Welcome to the Homebody Podcast. My name is Mary Grace, and here we explore big questions in embodied ways. These conversations intersect the mystical, the practical, and the artful, bridging a range of topics such as astrology, creative practices, what healing can look like, and cultivating deep love and care for the more-than-human world. We not only want to live better, but live more fully, with more connection, courage, and creativity in our day-to-day lives and work. And this podcast asks, what are the ways we can do that? We hope to enliven you and inspire you towards possible regenerative futures, and we hope to encourage you so together we can become dynamic agents of beauty, fully awake, fully alive to all that life has for us. We want to be here for ourselves and for one another with more grace while making room for curiosity, sensitivity, hope, and joy. If you enjoyed today's episode, please take a few moments to share it with someone else. And thank you so much for listening. Hello, and welcome to the Homebody Podcast. Today, we dive into the astrology for the upcoming month of February 2023. And I'm joined today by Mo Olufemi to help us walk through the month ahead and all the transits coming up. We have the Venus in Pisces currently who will move into Aries by the end of the month. Mercury will move into Aquarius and we have a full moon in Leo, a new moon in Pisces, and the sun is also going to enter Pisces as well. So overall, it's a month that I'm looking forward to seeing what it brings for us and to us. And as I said, Mo Olufemi is joining me today to walk through the February forecast. And Mo is an astrologer and a tarot reader specializing in Hellenistic and medieval astrology, while also becoming really well-versed in the Vedic astrological tradition. She loves learning about the underrated parts of essential dignity and their applications, and also uses the Golden Dawn astrological correspondences to really merge tarot with astrology. And in her spare time, she is a loving mother of two cats. You'll learn more about Mo and her work in the episode, and you can also read the bio below in the show notes, as well as find all the links to Mo and more about her work, um, including her shared podcast, The Fixed Astrology Podcast. This episode was really fun to put together for you all. I hope that you enjoy listening. And if you do, please take about five seconds to text the episode to a friend or share it with someone else who would really enjoy it. If you hear us talking in the episode about the mutable signs or the Pisces area of your life, and you don't really know what that means or what we're talking about, there's a link below for a free resource called the houses cheat sheet. And you can get sort of an intro into how to think to know which signs or which houses for you and what topics are in those houses. And also an actual cheat sheet um, to sort of help be your companion and your friend as you move through the forecast. And we also have a free monthly meetup called the Astro Meetup, and it happens on the first Wednesday of every month. And if you would like, you can join us um, for the upcoming one for February. There's a link to sign up below. If you can't join us for February, that's not a big deal. You'll still be on the list and get the reminders that come up each month. And I think with that, let's get into this forecast for February 2023. Well, I am really, really, really excited to have you here. Also, we kind of were chatting about our personal astro before we started recording. So I feel like we'll have a really naturally kind of like good rapport and fun time while we're recording this. Do you mind starting off this episode, this forecast by sort of personally introducing yourself to our listeners? And I like to frame the question as like, how would you like us to know you um, today? So you're welcome to kick us off with that whenever you're ready. I really love that. Um, Thanks again, Mary Grace, for having me on your podcast. Uh, I'm really excited because I just found out that Pow, my co-host for Fixed Astropod, was here a few months ago. And so naturally, it makes sense to go and poach the other podcast host. (laughs) So I'm Mo, um, as many of you will know, from Fixed Astropod. I'm also Austral Tour all over the internet. I'm just like happy to be here, happy to talk about transits. And I feel like, you know, having just survived that Mars retrograde in my perfected house, I think I'm just ready to, (laughs) you know, move on to big and better, bigger and better things. (laughs) For sure. Yeah, that's cool. We could probably do a whole episode about that. That sounds like a really intense time. 
Yeah. Um, I don't know about you, Mary Grace, but I feel like February is just so much, not necessarily like lighter, but I think that compared to the transits of the last three months, it's a breath of fresh air. Yeah. It feels like for me, as I was preparing like the notes and everything, it feels like we sort of come in on this like cool breeze a little bit. Like Venus has shifted into Pisces and she's sort of just kind of like seducing us into this little like light wave. And then (laughs) by the end, it definitely feels like towards the end, like everything sort of expands and gets a little more like heat hot as things start changing signs. And, um, but I'm really looking forward to that, like new moon in Pisces in particular, like we just have a lot of good Pisces juju going on, which feels a lot cooler and a little more peace oriented than some of the things that have been going on lately. Definitely. Definitely. (laughs) I mean, one thing that I want to comment on is, you know, with the exception of Jupiter, everything is pretty much very airy, like with the exception of, you know, Jupiter and Mercury, of course. Mm-hmm. everything's kind of airy watery so it's it's a very fluid month mm-hmm. for much of the month which is you know I think it's good for you know dealing with any of the stagnant energy that we felt given that you know Saturn has been so overpowered the past six years just going through Aquarius and Capricorn and now we're coming out of, into this weird like liminal space Um, where we're trying to redefine what our lives look like after having to, for lack of a better word, you know, produce like an enema in various parts of our lives, like just cleaning (laughs) out so much. I think that's pretty much how it's been feeling. And yeah. Yeah. I agree. Um, I feel like too, at the beginning of the year, like we kind of like, we want to like catapult into the new year, but it was just kind of constipated into the new year with all that mm-hmm. like massive retrograde energy. And everyone was just kind of like, Bleh. and so I think having some of this like mutable energy, the the air, the water, at least having a more of a sense of connectivity that things can move, we can get hydrated a little bit. Like, I think that will mm-hmm. feel a little relieving, at least to me personally. So. Oh, definitely. I mean, I don't know. I think we can get started with going through the actual play-by-play of the month. Let's Um, do it. Um, Do you want to kick us off with the first um, transit that we're going to talk about? So that first weekend is pretty jam-packed. So, you know, Mm -hmm. on Friday, next Friday, we have that Sun-Uranus square. On February Uh, 3rd, yeah. This one's a bit interesting because it's also, you know, the last Sun-Uranus square where, you know, Saturn is co-present with um the sun uh which is kind of a big deal because you know saturn and aquarius has posed this challenge to uranus and taurus and the way i've seen uranus and taurus is getting back in touch with those things that make us comfortable make us secure you know the things that bring pleasure on a consistent basis and trying to consolidate those things like one thing that i think about when i think of uranus and taurus is the movement of you know, the beauty industry away from that sort of full beat, like full glam makeup to, you know, doing more skincare, going for like a more natural uh, muted effect, because, you know, you want to look like yourself, but better. Um, I, I think of that, but then, you know, Saturn in Aquarius posing this challenge of, you know, the social order by which we're all relating to each other, just needing mm-hmm. to change. And how can we, you know, indulge in these things or maybe revisit old indulgences when, you know, the new reality is keeping us from interacting in the way that we normally do. So it's just interesting seeing that, you know, we have the sun, you know, being an Aquarius. And I like to joke that um, aside from the sun going into Libra, like the sun going into Aquarius is very much that one time of year where, you know, the ego or, you know, that monarch or that authority figure that takes up a lot of space is beholden to the collective and their Mm -hmm. agenda. And so when you have that squaring the Taurus Uranus and also being beholden to Saturn, I think that sets up an interesting dynamic. Yeah. The word hyper-individualism came to mind while you were talking. Not that the sun in Aquarius is like hyper-individualist, like I'd say quite the opposite, Mm -hmm. but I think when we meet, like when the sun comes into sort of a a hard aspect with Uranus, I feel like sometimes it pricks that like what makes you so special (laughs) or what, who gave you the power to do X Mm -hmm. or 
who gave you that there's like sort of it gets the identity gets challenged, the power gets challenged, you know, so like that, that regality um, and prominence, you use the word monarch that we associate with the sun mm-hmm. as well, um, whether that's our inner authority or the systemic authority beyond outside of us. Yeah, it can get kind of prickly, I think sometimes or where those get challenged and we're sort of having to, you know, what walls are we going to shake down? Which ones are we going to build up? And how are we yeah. sort of defining our edges of what makes you so special or who gave you this power or you know, that's sort of that because I said so excuse, right. like you should do this because <laughs> I said so, like, is it going to, doesn't really work or this is what I've always done is not really right. going to work. So like the freedom to be you or the freedom to be X, I think is going to be a really perhaps prominent discussion. Right. Another thing that I've been seeing is, you know, this whole uh, chat GPT phenomenon, because everybody won't shut up about AI now. Yeah, <laughs> which is fitting, you know, given that, you know, we're about to have a lot of these major outer planet shifts. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, I feel like the sun square Uranus piece can also speak to the ways in which technology or innovation is going to mm, call into question the sort of faculties of higher intelligence that mm-hmm. humans cling on to when we think about our specialness in yeah. the you know, animal kingdom and the social order. And so I feel like the closer we get, maybe we'll have some sort of internal crisis of, you know, what does it mean to be human What with all this AI development? So I don't know if you've seen, but in some of the spaces I've seen, oh, um, chat GBT can get a B on an exam at, you know, the Wharton School of Business at UPenn, or, you know, it can pass the MCAT. <laughs> You know, just crazy things like that. I I feel like, um, you know, as the sun gets closer to that square with Uranus, I think we're going to have some sort of uh, crisis related to that. Another thing I could also see is just more more of the humbling of crypto people. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Go on. Because, like, <laughs> I didn't realize how many of them had... Um, like late Saturn and Aquarius placements or just Saturn and Aquarius placements in Mm. general. And if it wasn't them, it was some other young up and coming investor that basically scammed the hell out of some sort of banking institution or some financial institution. And I feel like you're going to see more of those types of people being held accountable. (laughs) Yeah. I think that makes a lot of sense. And I've been reading this book called Ways of Being by James Bridle, which is really about like these concepts of intelligence that we have as it relates to planetary intelligence um, Mm. and on the other side of the spectrum. Um, artificial intelligence. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I'm really, I'm very interested in that conversation, especially because, you know, post enlightenment, post industrial, it's like humans as the superior, like we judge how intelligent things are by how closely human they are. And I am so interested in subverting that in like every possible way. And also as, as someone who's like deeply like cozy in like the mountains in the woods without any cell phone service. I also get like very anxious <laughs> about like potential robot apocalypses and things like that. So got it. No, that makes total sense. I mean, I think it's interesting that even though the sun perfects its aspect, you know, to Uranus on the Friday, you do have that full moon on Sunday mm-hmm. <laughs> in Leo. So I think that again, something about the events of that first weekend of February is going to call into question some of that sense of, I guess, autonomy and that sense of intelligence or, you know, the things we take pride in regularly. Specialness. Yes. Um. <laughs> yeah. So that Friday, we've been talking about that sun Uranus square on February 3rd. And then sort of in between that and the full moon, mm-hmm. we have Venus square Mars, which we, we hinted about last month because, you know, Venus in Pisces has been making sort of a sign-based square to Mars in Gemini. Um, ever since the end of January, but it perfects mm. on Saturday, February 4th. And to me, some of how I'm thinking about it is sort of, it feels like Venus and Pisces sort of taking on this like priestess role mm-hmm. and like attempting to like heal or quell or mm-hmm. bring peace to what is a divisive or violent situation or influence. Mm-hmm. You know, it, yeah. war, war and peace feels like it comes to mind, those sort mm-hmm. of dynamics. And, you know, I don't know, that's what's coming to mind in a big way. This attempt to repair or bring compassion or solace to a situation, either with like 
you know, her public influence or social sway or artistic aesthetic maneuvering, something Mm -hmm. like that. How are you thinking about it? You know, um, so something that I wanted to do, but it was too much writing and I was going through a lot uh, prior to the retrograde is I feel like this is a nice foil to that time in, I think it was Virgo season when Mm. uh, Mars in Gemini was squaring Venus and Virgo. And that's like a completely opposite experience for a couple of reasons. So in that situation, you have Mars in the superior position. So when a planet is in the superior position, it's just earlier in the zodiac, meaning it has a vantage point, right? Um, and it gets to apply pressure to the planet that is in the receiving on the receiving end of the aspect. And on top of that, you have Venus in her fall. So it's Venus not being super comfortable. And so you have a Venus that's trying to maybe be perfect at the expense of really enjoying things and having the Mars constantly poke at her, right? Whereas I feel like in this situation, you know, that peace or that um, comfort or that solace and healing has priority on, you know, the actions of Mars and it's applying pressure to Mars to maybe, you know, see these sorts of opportunities that are coming up with, um, you know, Mars's direct movement through Gemini to, take new courses of action. So I love thinking about the progression of Mars through the decans of Gemini, especially, you know, when it was going retrograde. So, you know, clearly there was some major choice or change that needed to be made. And then with Mars going direct in that first part of Gemini, it's like, wow, we have options now. Great. Uh, I believe this square is happening in the middle decans of both Pisces and, um, Gemini. And so, you know, Venus is in that part of Pisces that's very much, I would like to say, a source of serendipitous discovery. So it's Mm -hmm. like, oh, I'm finding joy in a place that I never would have thought I'd found it. And it's like, hey, Mars, like, let's go do more of this here. If you need something to do, right, go chase this instead, Um, which can be fun and exciting. But I know that the Venus square Mars aspects do tend to bring you know, social disruption. (laughs) Relational disruption. Yeah, and a lack of mm, decorum in some sense. So it can be a very lusty aspect. And Mm -hmm. sometimes when we really want things, we may engage in problematic behaviors to get there. So that's something that I would caution people with this coming weekend. (laughs) Yeah, I had the word like, passionate but like not always in like the traditional or the way that we would normally think of it like it's not always sexy passion right like there's like you know crimes of passion there's heated passion like there's all sorts of ways that like tempers running high could manifest Mm -hmm. and i feel venus is like feeling very cool and connected and like Mm -hmm. sacred oriented and mars is just like not (laughs) no Uh, yeah mars Mars is very much by any means necessary Yeah, I was thinking too, is we've had, you know, in the U, like, especially with the Mars and we've had all these like school shootings and mass shootings, like so many, like these, this very, um, I mean, always just like horrendous, like acts of violence that are showing up in interesting ways as it relates to the Mars retrograde journey, particularly at least in the US, which is what I'm thinking about in particular. Mm -hmm. And it'll be interesting to see if there's a way that we could any ways that there is attempts to sort of like turn on the fire sprinklers yeah. in some of those situations or create some sort of contracts for behavior in the future and what that pressure could look like. Like you used the word pressure, which I, I liked. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, the thing is I do worry because this is an extended Mars return for the U S I, I mean, I just really hope that with Venus going into Pisces, it might help cool some heads a little bit. And give people more of that sense of let's use this sort of action and this drive to act instead of using it, you know, to harm each other, you know, let's use it in a meaningful way. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm hoping that that will be a more constructive side effect of that transit. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but I mean, other than that, like, do you want to move on to the let's second week? That. Well, and we have the... February 5th, the day after that, we have that full moon in Leo. And 
it feels like, as you were saying earlier, we talked about sun square Uranus at the top of the conversation. Mm-hmm. And then the full moon in Leo feels like it's sort of just continuing that conversation yeah. in a way. Um, where I live, it's happening on February 5th. Um, and it's happening right in the middle of Leo. And to me, it, while we're not in the peak of this Saturn Uranus square anymore, it does feel like this full moon will have some sort of like nostalgic feeling or mm. reminders of some of that vibe. How are you thinking about it? I'm in agreement with you, especially because later that day, you know, the moon will apply to oppose Saturn. So even if, you know, Saturn and Uranus are no longer in that degree based aspect, the moon is still translating, right? And I do feel like with the moon being in that middle part of Leo, you know, it can be a part of Leo where not saying that people who have placements here are not necessarily as hardworking as other people. There can be a tendency of people who have planets here, especially if it's the sun or Jupiter, um, to maybe benefit and have, it's like things are easier for them, right? They get uplifted to positions of prominence or influence without having to put in as much effort as say other people around them. And that can make people upset. I do feel like with the moon answering to a sun, that's not the happiest though. I do feel like there will be some maybe critique or um, questions around you know, how you're showing up in a part of your life and whether, you know, you actually have the skills to assume a position of authority. Um, Mm -hmm. I feel like the collective will be watching that very strongly, especially if it's one of those situations where just also thinking about the fact that the sun is in the middle part of Aquarius and it does have connotations of transition. I wonder if it speaks to maybe a sudden transition of you know, power to somebody. So say someone was occupying a role and then they handed it to someone else. And, you know, there's a lot of scrutiny on who they're handing it to and why. Something that comes to mind is I know that Jacinda Ardern recently stepped down as prime minister of New Zealand. I don't know when her successor is going to take over, but I do wonder if maybe there'll be questions about his fitness to lead, Mm -hmm. right? We'll see. I mean, he's a man, so who knows? But (laughs) yeah. Yeah, I think you're bringing up a lot of good points just this way about, you know, like we tend, at least in American culture, it's like people Mm -hmm. who have power, we tend to associate them with a level of deservingness or like morality that isn't always called for. Like, oh, you have power, therefore equals good, therefore must like mimic culture to be like that or celebrities, for instance, like you have a level of like prominence and visibility, therefore Mm -hmm. you must be good. And then all influencers sort of like find this path. And I think, yeah, bringing some of those things into question, some of those questions we posed earlier about like deservingness or like what makes you so special or like who put Mm -hmm. you in charge, like those kinds of questions really showing up and how, like, I remember even as a kid, Uh, I had a very traditional, conventional, moral upbringing in a lot of ways. And it was really mind blowing to me, you know, that it's like, oh, like just because you win doesn't mean you're good or it doesn't mean that you're the best. Right. Right. And so I think some of those things really showing up. Totally. I mean, it's interesting how we kind of end that first part of February on that note. And then we (laughs) move to the Mercury stuff in the second Mm -hmm. week. Yeah. Do you want to lead us into there? Yeah, so I love these Mercury conjunct Pluto transits or just Mercury making hard aspects to Pluto because there's just been weird whistleblower energy Mm -hmm. around, (laughs) like revelations of some kind. I feel like during this last time that Mercury was conjoined Pluto, I don't think it perfected, but it was pretty close when Mm -hmm. it stationed retrograde. I think not long after that, what's it called? What's her name? Uh, Kirsten Cinema, who is the senate, one of the senators for oh, Arizona. She yeah. left the Democratic Party right after Warnock was reelected, and I was just like, <laughs> <laughs> it was too funny. I mean, I feel like that whole configuration is hitting. I believe she has a Cancer Venus ruling her Libra rising, mm. um, in that late part of Cancer, and so I feel like maybe there's more scrutiny coming about 
her decision to do that mm-hmm. and, you know, things like that. But I do feel like there's more just weird um, whistleblower energy, especially because, you know, they've been discovering all these uh, documents at, what was it, Joe Biden's place. Yeah. Now Pence has documents. I know. Like, Everyone's it's crazy. Rustle up some dirt. Everybody yeah. has documents. I bet good money. Everyone has documents. Everyone has documents. Yeah. <laughs> As someone with a lot of Scorpio placements, I always do kind of get excited when we're digging up some footnotes in a situation. I like love a pile of secret documents that I get to raid through. And that being said, like some, I always am like, but does it have to mean conflict though? Um, and I feel like you know, I think too, especially as you're bringing up some of these recent occurrences too, like some, any of the like secrets or discoveries or sort of like Mm -hmm. behind the scenes conversations, um, that have been going on even politically thinking about, um, I think it was being referred to as the three amigos summit with the president of Mexico, prime minister of Canada. Like all of that was very like closed doors behind the scenes. We knew like there was some disgruntled stuff going on, but perhaps like as Mercury becomes more visible and then especially as Mercury conjoins Pluto, there might be a lot of stuff really rising to the surface that perhaps people did not want to potentially. Yeah. I do wonder how that went. Um, because, you know, as an American living in Canada, it's interesting, like, seeing what people in the U.S. are talking about and then mm-hmm. what people in Canada are talking about. Like, sure. I don't I don't think anyone on CNN or anything, like, when I would go to the gym, was really talking about that summit. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas it was all Canadian news to talk about. There's the Three Amigos Summit. Like, what yeah. are they doing now? You know? Totally. Um, I do wonder if there's also going to be something about maybe some hidden agreements with mm-hmm. respect to, you know, the exchange of laborers. That's something I can see just thinking about Canada's chart as well, because it does have an Aries rising. Mm-hmm. And so that's the ruler of the third. So I, I could see something like that being relevant. Um, I also just feel like on a personal level, you know, Mercury's in its own decan in Capricorn and it's got big auditor energy and it feels <laughs> like, you know, if you need to take tax stock time. of, yes, it's tax time. That's great. I mean, no, that's actually a good thing to bring up because I feel like a lot of these transits where Mercury conjoined Pluto and Capricorn, there's always been some sort of paper that came out about offshore accounts that some rich person has. Right. Like, oh, this, look at how people are evading taxes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, I mean, this is just probably a good weekend to really clean up your finances and really sort through all those sorts of documents, especially if they are tax related, because you never know. Yeah. It's like the easiest way to keep people from discovering bones in your closet is just to not have any. Um, yeah. And I think, I think too, sometimes with Mercury, Pluto, transits there can also like on a personal level experience this like kind of tendency towards like hyper focus or like obsessing or like really Mm -hmm. like kind of zooming in on something and really obsessing over it Mm -hmm. in a way that is sometimes helpful and that you're like no I can really do all my tax shit this weekend in other ways sometimes it's just getting obsessive or like anxious or like worried Mm -hmm. about things that may or may not manifest quite to the scale that we're imagining right and you may find that you're doing very pathological things that are preventing you from actually being productive. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Because as we know, Mercury, you know, the Virgo side of Mercury does just like to be busy, even if it's not necessarily productive. So just watch for that sort of obsessive thinking, I would say that weekend, which is interesting because, you know, the next day Mercury moves into Aquarius. Mm -hmm. (laughs) For sure. I always think of, you know, we were talking about um, being in a lab earlier. I think of Mercury and Aquarius as in a lab. Very much so. That's the emoji I have for that. Yeah. I mean, Mercury in Aquarius is very much the mad scientist, I would argue. Mm -hmm. And it's great for, you know, really analyzing, you know, the fundamentals by which the world works. And, you know, in order to test the limits of reality, if you will, you have to be a little experimental. (laughs) And so I think that, you know, Mercury does really well here for that reason. And I feel like, you know, after coming off of these sorts of clearing out any skeletons in your closet and, you know, doing a deep dive and audit and investigation into things, I feel like Mercury into Aquarius will kind of lighten that up, especially if you did uncover some things that were heavy 
um, I feel like Mercury moving into Aquarius is, okay, I identified a major weakness in some sort of structure that I'm heavily invested in. You know, Mercury entering Aquarius is like doing that damage control. Like, what are some futures for how this could look like and how can we prevent this from ever happening again, Mm -hmm. you know? Like, what's the Uh, SOP for that? (laughs) Yes. It's bringing that fixed quality. It's like, okay, how do we prepare for this future we want or don't want by taking these actions now, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Yeah, it feels too, like, it's, it's, it's like they're, you know, Mercury in these is taking on big, like heavy problems. Um, mm-hmm. But they feel a little because in Saturn signs, like Saturn is always like interested in these like bulky, weighty things. Yep. Um, but they feel a little bit different. It feels like in Capricorn, they're more like boulders of paperwork potentially. And in mm-hmm. Aquarius, they're more like systemic problems or experimental interests or like things that are, like you said, they it's more in maintenance mode, but it may not be so much of like initiating the boulder going up the hill. Yeah. It, what it could have felt like in Capricorn potentially definitely mm-hmm. going to have a Mercury. That's a lot more. Um, yeah. That like more detached, you know, less like emotional, more interested in sort of that, like um, at least having the appearance of like non-bias and like super objective perspectives, which can sometimes come across as, you know, non-feeling potentially um, Mm -hmm. could make for really interesting inquiry and staying curious and especially orienting to, I think around like ideals you were talking about, like worlds, uh, like building worlds we do or don't want, like really having that ideal, I think framing some of the work feels like it's a really key ingredient here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think, yeah, you're right. There's going to be some important framing around what's important and what's a priority. And it's helpful to see, you know, Mercury's movement into Aquarius as this build up towards that last conjunction, because, you know, Saturn and Mercury will conjoin for the last time for, you know, another 30 years in Aquarius. And so this is kind of a big deal. Um, I've been telling a lot of clients that I've been working with, you know, about these sorts of parting gifts from Saturn and Aquarius. And (laughs) I think that while the lessons of Saturn in Capricorn and Aquarius were very difficult, I do like to remind people that we are moving into the stretch of the Zodiac where Saturn is debilitated. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So if you thought Saturn was difficult now, just you wait. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and it's difficult in different ways, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, I, I love the phrase of like parting gifts, especially of like, what are the little mm. trinkets that Mercury brings out of Saturn's hand and puts in our pockets? And yeah. I was thinking about that with the January, like uh, moon and Aquarius as well, mm. just sort of like, what is the what is the last little thing? What is the last little seed that Saturn wants to sow? The last little memo. Mm-hmm. Um, so I love framing it as a parting gift. <laughs> Yeah, because I think Saturn in its domiciles and exaltation is all about creating structure, whereas I think what Saturn in its debilitation and, you know, exile tends to do is show us where structure is not reliable. And I think that as difficult as, um, you know, the pandemic has been, I think that it's cluing us into the fact that we need to make these structural changes now so that when Saturn and Aries, Cancer, Leo come, it's not like we have to, you know, reinvent the wheel because those are situations where, you know, we can't rely on structure and we have to take a different approach to structure. Um, Yeah. Yeah. One of the ways I'm thinking about it too, it's that, you know, when we have a planet in domicile like that and so strong, it's like they get the last word. Mm-hmm. They don't really have to take anyone else's input if they don't want to. Yeah. And that like I feel particularly interested in like, you know, Saturn moving into Jupiter's sign. It's like Saturn will be forced mm-hmm. to take on the influence and interest of Jupiter. And like, yeah, it just kind of moves Saturn around in the box a little bit as opposed to it's just been like Saturn has the end all be all last word. Like it will end like And I totally agree with what you're saying. Like systems work because of their reliability in a lot of ways. And now Saturn's going to be moving in these ways where they're, they're forced to sort of take in other people's input and which can in the long run bring us something that is more creative and emergent and interdependent Mm -hmm. and less heavy handed. Mm -hmm. And it can also be kind of destabilizing. Yes. I love what you were just saying about, you know, Saturn having a boss now. 
Um, mm-hmm. One of my good friends, Anak Rabinal, who I do a lot of my um, Davison workshop series with, she likes Saturn when Saturn has a boss. It's like mm-hmm. having Saturn be in charge is a lot because Saturn is not necessarily a planet, you know, like the sun or the moon that wants to be in charge of things. Right. Saturn just wants to uphold something. And when you give Saturn an inch, he will take 10,000 miles. Let me tell you. <laughs> um, I think the last six years has been proved that Saturn Got will the take the whole world down. <laughs> yes. Like, Saturn will shut For it down. For two weeks, I mean three years. <laughs> They're like, yeah. Three years and counting, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I can see Saturn with a boss having a softer touch. <laughs> yes. And you know what? I actually like Saturn and the Jupiter ruled signs. Me I too. mean, I didn't like the side effect of the last Saturn and Sag, where it seemed like everyone was low key xenophobic. I did not like that. But hopefully, the Saturn in Pisces is just everybody, you know, being tired of austerity it's like i'm tired mm-hmm. of suffering yeah i want to have a larger sort of collective body that cares about everybody mm-hmm. that i can rely on i think yeah. that's going to be the focus with saturn and pisces and i just feel like you know saturn making these conjunctions with you know mercury and the sun and all of that will start to kind of clue us into maybe the sort of larger structure we're agreeing to make before, you know, we start making those changes when Saturn Mm -hmm. goes into Pisces. Yeah. And I think too, just like this, I think of the structure of our imaginal worlds and I think, Mm. you know, Saturn and Jupiter ruled signs sometimes what is like taking mystical things seriously, Mm -hmm. um, taking myth seriously, taking the unseen, the imaginal seriously. And I personally have personal bias towards being excited about that. So, um, I think that's a good note to kind of move into week three, talking yeah. about Venus conjoining Neptune on February 15th, which feels a little intoxicated to me. Oh, that's very intoxicating. I <laughs> Okay, the thing is, I want to say enjoy this one because this is the last time we are going to have Venus conjoin Neptune without Saturn and then eventually the nodes, because those will move in at some point with Saturn. Um <laughs> So I think that, you know, this is a nice, um, this could be a nice aspect for really enjoying people's company. Um, I love that Venus has her exaltation in that last decan of Pisces, which very much has that I'm giving up something to, you know, be a part of something larger. It's Mm -hmm. like, it's like the ultimate ego death or something, right? Where you actually feel like you're one and you're merging with everything and everyone and, You know, that's really nice, but Mm -hmm. Neptune can kind of make it a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Be a little extra. Yeah. Um, It feels like hyper mystical. It feels Mm -hmm. very like, I mean, definitely like diagnosing reality is not anything close to what this transit will be good for. So if you have to make any decisions that are big and important and require sober judgment, like this is not the time to do that because sober judgment will probably be the farthest thing from the agenda. Mm -hmm. But what are the things that we could really like enjoy that don't require that? Like, is it enjoying one another's company? Is it like some way to find, have set up some epic mystical experience for yourself and others? Like, I think it would be really supportive. You know, it does make me think a lot of like trance states and like ecstatic dances and like psychedelic experiences and like Mm -hmm. ceremony and like the way that we just like can feel it one with the ocean or like whatever the thing is like swimming with whales or like whatever you get to do with your time. But I think yeah. accurately assessing reality and making great plans from that. This is not the best time to do that. I mean, it's kind of ironic because the next day we get that sun conjunct Saturn. So I, I mean, I was like, look, quite it's literally, a- it's a great time for ego death. <laughs> for sure. And it's like, they're happening. It's almost like, I was like, it's sort of, I was trying to think of like, what real life instance could that make me think of? It's like, ego death feels so true around that. And it was also like, oh, you just had this sort of like epic otherworldly experience that totally changed your life and like brought you to one with your soul. And then the next day you go into work and they're like, maybe you like just get loaded with more responsibility and like a promotion. Mm-hmm. And now no one wants to be your friend at work because they don't want to be friends with the boss or something yeah. like that. It was just like, yeah. But they're not related at all, right? But they're no. happening at the same time. 
it's like, oh, I felt interconnected with the universe. And then the next day, it's like, I just realized I'm a cog in a machine instead of a source of divinity. Like, mm-hmm. I, yeah, that can be very... Um, or that I'm both, and that feels hard to integrate. Yes, that is so true. And that being really hard. And I find it interesting that, you know, these are happening in parts of your life that are not necessarily talking to each other, exactly. you know? Um, so something that I've been thinking about a lot as someone who's into Hellenistic astrology as well as Jyotish is, you know, the configurations that a planet is making within one sign is affecting all the signs that it has a relationship with. Like I know in the Vedic system, they have different aspects, right? But like just thinking Hellenistically, you know, the things that are going to feel that Venus-Neptune conjunction the most are all the mutable signs and all the mutable parts of your life. They're really going to be feeling the um maybe the sort of higher euphoria when it comes to this realization that the venus neptune is bringing maybe it's quite literally like a reward for all the hard work and sacrifice you've put into a particular connection in some part of your life right and you may find that all of those mutable parts of your life are singing as a result however with that sun (laughs) conjunct saturn I feel like that's a time where, you know, you're really humbled in a particular area of your life and it can be very jarring. And so for my fixed sign friends, um, <laughs> it's rough out here. Yeah. Yeah. And also the fixed signs have just really been going through it. You know, the mm-hmm. past couple of years, they're like, seriously, are we still on the rack for this? You know, I feel like those fixed right. sign placements are really over it at this point. They're tired. They're sick of the heavy lifting. They're sick of being held accountable. They're like, I would like a vacation. And there's this other part of our life, like totally getting a vacation day. And this yeah. other part of our life that's like, mm, you got to work harder still. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, the one thing I do like about Sun conjunct Saturn, because it's like the pinnacle of, again, especially being an Aquarius, that sort of authority or that source of ego and that egoic projection being beholden to the collective and its needs. And, you know, Saturn in a lot of astrological traditions is a planet of service, Mm -hmm. right? And the things that bind you are your commitment of service to other people. And so I think that this is a period where, say, maybe Venus conjunct Neptune for somebody is like, oh, yeah, great. I've been crowned with this authority. And like, I think it's going to be like, I'm like here to rule. Right. And then Saturn being like, here's the reality of that position and what you really signed up for. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I think, too. Yeah, I'm just having this image, like Venus conjunct Neptune. I'm thinking of these old, like, 1930s movies where it was, like, Mm -hmm. there was, like, musical numbers of people in, like, bathing suits and, like, dancing Mm -hmm. and sparkles fall from the thing and they're, like, singing and there's, like, (laughs) synchronized swimming. And then also people are, like, drinking cocktails while watching. Like, it's just this, like, kind of epic mermaid party Mm -hmm. time. Yeah. Um, And, yeah, and then also being, like, so how does that how does me being like the mermaid queen have anything to do with this other realm of my life? And Saturn's like, well, you may not get to be as much of a mermaid as you wanted to be in this office, but, and yeah. Yeah. It's like, if you want the mermaid life, this is like what you're supposed to be doing. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. And how do I hold both of those realities at the same time? This part of my identity, this part of my expression, and also like Saturn also holding the sun, like our heart, like accountable, I think. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, In a way that's really not always fun, but can usually be really productive and important. Yeah. And you know what? I think a hidden superpower of, you know, Aquarius and Libra suns is that they realize that a key part of finding out who you are and what it is you want to express does involve to some extent, like understanding, you know, what the collective values, but then also just how the collective works. Mm -hmm. Right. I find that, you know, ironically, there is some truth in, you know, if everybody is unique, why am I special? That's very much true. Right. And then also, you know, the traits that you want to cultivate, you know, those do have to be things that are attractive to people, right? Right. I do think that a lot of people sleep on that lesson. And I think that, you know, having the Saturn-Sun conjunction will be like having that sort of direct feedback because, you know, all the other times that, you know, the Sun will go through Aquarius, we're not going to get that feedback um, for another 30 years. So So there's that. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And then, you know, a few days later, we have the sun enter Pisces. So again, we're toggling between these two 
these two realms, these two very different environments and experiences, you know, the sun and Pisces is going to be more of like, you know, I think we move from like the scientist to the priest or uh, yeah. the science, the doc, the scientist to the mermaid or whatever um, yeah. aquatic creature. I feel like, I feel like priest is apt because when you get down to it, like whether you're engaging with spirituality or science, you're interested in the fundamental principles that guide how this thing that we're experiencing works. And when you're like, I don't care about the scientific method, let's go, let's go deeper into this ego death business, right? Yeah, like that's very the much things that we can't prove. Yeah. Like, you just really like, we'll never be able to prove this. Let's talk about those questions. Whereas Aquarius exactly. is like, if it doesn't go in the lab, I don't know if I really want to ask about it. <laughs> right. Exactly. And I love that even though Venus is at the very end of the sign at this point, you know, she is still there. Mm-hmm. And it's nice that just for these couple of days, the sun and Venus get to share a space. So that's, that's really positive, I think. Mm-hmm. I think so too. And I think it's just sort of, again, it's bringing this dose of like potential compassion, sensitivity, receptivity. It's very like imaginative. Um, Mm -hmm. I think places where it could be, you know, it's also like quite a different sun than the sun in Aquarius. So it's like not interested in boundaries like at all. Um, Mm -hmm. It definitely doesn't have a propensity to them, which can be interested when we're you know, if we're trying to provoke things like empathy um, or connection, but it can be hard when we're trying to have a sense of like self-containment or we don't want to feel overwhelmed, like, you know, remembering boundaries might be more difficult or challenging, especially because we also have Neptune still there. That's like floodgates open. So. Yeah. Um, I think it's interesting that we also have this really powerful new moon as well at the beginning mm-hmm. of Pisces. And I just think a lot about that first second of Pisces. I don't know if you can relate, like also having your rising there, but once I learned that, you know, in Austin Coppock's conceptualization of the Deccans, that it's called the labyrinth and it's got that, you know, sort of energy of abandoning something so that you can go deeper into something else. I was like, you know what? No wonder why I always want to be somewhere else. Like, that's my whole life. Like, it's mm. just like, uh, maybe I'd be happier, like, not here. Like, <laughs> let's let's just go and do something different, right? I love yeah. that, you know, we get that new moon there because, um, you know, come March and the rest of this year, Saturn is going to spend a lot of time in that part of Pisces. So It's true. And I feel like it's, you know, this new moon, which is happening on the 20th for me, which it might be the 19th night, you know, if you're on a different time zone, but the Mm -hmm. sleep between the 19th and the 20th, um, you know, it's super iterative and it's super mutable, not only because like the moon is this very like watery, liquidy changing thing, but because Pisces is that in spades, like it's really, really that it feels very like life of pie, you know, Mm -hmm. like not necessarily that it has to come from like a shipwreck, um, but the sense that like, (laughs) (laughs) Not that, but the sense that like these amazing like tableaus and awarenesses and truths and like the solitude and the awe that's only available if you're like stranded out in the middle of the ocean, right? Um, And I think also the way that truth is very flexible as Mm -hmm. is conveyed in that story as well. And I think the tarot, um, the first decan of Pisces is- um, Eight of cups. Eight of cups, yeah, which again is about that like leaving, right? It's sort of like- we may not know where we're going. We may not stick to the plan. It's like, what is that? It's a phrase. It's like, we make plans and God laughs. It feels like very much that vibe. <laughs> yeah. I find that that's very apt, especially, you know, I'm actually thinking about the progression of, okay, sun can join Saturn and you really get humbled, right? Mm-hmm. And I believe that conjunctions taking place in that sort of last decade of Aquarius, which is very much like when you strip away all the BS, what is, you know, like at the fundamental core of what I need, what I enjoy, like, and you know, when you have the sun kind of being humbled by Saturn there, it's like, okay, when you strip away the pump and circumstance, who are you really? Mm-hmm. And then, you know, that movement into Pisces is making you realize you don't really know. Right. Yeah. And so now you have to go on this journey to maybe do some soul searching and realize that hmm, everything that was a part of my self-concept. Yeah. doesn't make sense. I need to get rid of it. And, you know, maybe I've invested too much emotional energy into this and it's mm-hmm. time to, you know, start over 
in a sense, right? Yeah, I feel like it's because it's those kind of journeys where it doesn't really matter where you're going. It just matters mm-hmm. that you're on the journey, right? Yep. So the point is not, cause it's not a Saturn sign. It's this oceanic sign. The ocean isn't going anywhere. It's just moving. And so yep. like the point is not that you accomplish the goal or follow the plan, which would be more of like a Saturn sign is mm-hmm. that, you know, though that may give us a lovely illusion of control, but the point is that you embarked on the journey itself. So I think it's bringing up these questions of like, what are we ready to leave behind? What are we ready to venture toward? What are we ready to get okay with not knowing to see what could unfold, what like glowing root systems in the middle of the ocean could be made available to us, (laughs) you know, and like just seeing what kind of surprises and awe, you know, I think we have control to some extent over our preparation and what's in our bag. And when we leave sometimes, but if there's a shipwreck that's taking us, like how, where's the surrender, I think is what I'm getting to. Mm. Um, I think surrender could be a really big component of that, like a willingness to surrender. Like, I don't know where I'm going, but the world is vast. The ocean is beautiful and awe abounds perhaps. Yes. Like, and I love that foil between not only, you know, the Saturn signs and the Jupiter signs, but I would also argue that, you know, some of it also has to do with the fact that it's nocturnal Jupiter, because if you think about Sagittarius, like I would say it's a more purposeful, you know, journey. It's like, I know where I want to go. I mean, if it takes me somewhere else, fine, but there's that, there's more of this direction, you know, when you think of the archer's bow and, you know, the arrow and where it's going, it's, Mm -hmm. you're aiming for something. You may not hit it, but you're aiming, right? Mm -hmm. Whereas Pisces is definitely more of that wanderer. And I feel like, you know, maybe this new moon in Pisces is giving us a preview into, you know, that movement of Saturn, which is coming, you know, two weeks after. So Yeah. yeah, I was thinking of, I love, yeah, the Sag, definitely the arrow, the like embarking on the straight line with a mm-hmm. lot of enthusiasm. But then Pisces is like, but it's a circle though. Like, we're not. <laughs> it's a circle. Like, it's a circle, the mystical one. You don't have to go anywhere. We're already here. Like, it's, you know, it's a very different realization yeah. or um, perception of truth. Um, mm-hmm. Totally. Totally. So we have like Venus and Pisces for like a few, for like just that little smidge of the new moon. And then Venus switches into Aries, like within yeah. a few minutes of the new moon, which I think is a very interesting transition. How are you thinking about it? I mean, I always think about that dignity change. And I think about the sequence of dignity where like, you know, in Pisces, you have that Pisces, Aries, Taurus, where it's like, woo, peak Venus. And then it's like, Venus is really humbled. And then she, you know, goes back somewhere comfortable. Whereas, you know, the opposite, you have the opposite where, you know, it's, she's really not happy in Virgo. She recovers herself in Libra. And then she's just not doing great in Scorpio. Not as bad as Virgo, but not as great as Libra, right? And so I just think of that, you know, sort of sequence or that fluctuation in that Venusian experience. And the way I've been seeing, especially now that Neptune is at the very end of Pisces, is that transition from, you know, um, the end of Pisces where Neptune is, and you're like really swimming in the sauce, and you're experiencing the peak of you know exalted venus because her exaltation degree is there you get that huge dignity change just kind of like someone's pouring hot water on your face like like where did my crown go yeah like what i'm not feeling as lost in the sauce and connected it's just me myself and i and like i need to go have more of that so i feel like on the one hand maybe that venus neptune conjunction before kind of making you realize the peak of what good could be and then you know the struggle of trying to recreate that experience being the stress of venus and aries um i could also see excessive disillusionment as well because i know a lot of times we talk about neptune in terms of the dreaminess but as someone who has had some really gnarly mars neptune stuff over the last few years very much nightmares as well yeah (laughs) for sure and I feel like, you know, the Venus moving into Aries could be this like hypervigilance about trying to maybe avoid nightmare, depending on how you experienced, you know, that Venus Neptune. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it feels sort of like fallen princess becomes damsel in distress becomes I must 
rally my heroic energy, <laughs> you know, like is but all I have is like high heels and a tattered dress and I've got to like figure it out. Like, you know, and it's, yeah. you know, it may not be the most fun, but it's just like, oh, I have to do, there's no one here to defend me except me. There's no one here to stand up for me except me. There's no one like, there's, no one gives a shit about my crown when I'm lost in the jungle being chased by bears or whatever the thing is. Right. So it's like, okay. how do I, yeah. How do I harness my heroic energy? It's definitely more like, and I think too, it's, you know, when Pi- we had this Piscean Venus sort of working against Mars and even attempting to create repair perhaps or healing mm-hmm. where Mars had perhaps created destruction. Mm-hmm. And now we have Venus in Mars's sign also collaborating with Mars. So it feels like Venus is now kind of being forced to be more of a sidekick, more of that yeah. like femme fatale, like leaving a dynamic explosion, dynamite explosion in her wake, mm-hmm. even if that would not have been her choice. Like she's sort of forced yeah. to be a sidekick here. And so I think that's interesting that we'll have, you know, both of the benefics and Aries ruled by Mars at this time as well. That is a very good point. And it's just feeling like rallying your allies and making some trades so that they'll co-sign your, you know, weapon swinging that, Mm -hmm. you know, you want to do. There's a lot of that happening right now. (laughs) That's what that feels like. And uh, yeah, that's pretty loud, actually, when I think about it. I mean, you know, as the proud owner of an Aries Venus, like, listen, I totally feel you. Um, (laughs) So they have that Mars Venus connection where I would say that I do prefer being a martial venus than being a venusian mars because at least Mm. like you know there's joy in the fighting right and you can just do more of it whereas pretty but she's tough yeah whereas like with the the venus ruled mars you're kind of like forced to be diplomatic and you're there gritting your teeth and just mm, yeah um yeah you got to find but, that Xena warrior princess. Yes. And I do love that Jupiter is there because I think Jupiter will provide that supportive container for Venus because, you know, Jupiter does have triplicity in the fire signs. So, you know, she'll have some support. Yeah. I think too, we're just having, you know, war. Like it's interesting, you know, we have these benefic planets who are trying to create agreements. They're bringing money you know, they're representing what is valuable also around these things that are tend to be more associated with like military and weapons and explosions and things like that. So it makes me like, what kind of agreements are we making here? And what are we making money off of um, potentially, especially as I think I've been sort of reading headlines about like people getting in fights. So we're like, do we send more tanks to Ukraine? Like, and well, um, yeah, that like the way I do see the, decades of Aries progressing is there is this sort of underlying narrative that can have to do with conquest and expansion and initiation. So like, if you heard something to the effect of, Oh, we're going to throw more money at this so that we can expand like another front on, you know, the conflict or something like I would not be surprised personally. Um, whether that's a good use of resources, don't know, but won't be surprised if that's, you know, the direction that things go in, um, especially if you did find that, um, you know, during that Venus conjunct Neptune period that maybe there was some difficult situation that actually rallied like a bunch of people together. And, you know, there was a lot of meaningful finance that came out of it. And then Venus moving into Aries is that sort of deploying that sort of collective energy towards something that could lead to more conflict. I would say on a personal level, definitely it could be the strength to initiate something. Um, Definitely. It's very warlike, very initiatory, but very profitable. Just because both benefics there. Yeah. yeah. Making money, whatever it is. Yeah. For sure. And then which again has taken us on an interesting trajectory from this sort of like cool, compassionate, and we still have the sun in Pisces, but it feels like we're starting, you know, we're moving into a phase, especially as we move into March of 2023, where there's a lot of seismic shifting happening. And then we have Mercury trine Mars, which is a funny transit to sort of end our forecast discussion on, but we didn't want to leave it out because it felt Listen, like it's also I bringing like in it. things. Yeah. It's bringing I up like it a, lot. a lot that we've been talking about. 
go on. You love it. <laughs> Listen, I mean, <laughs> I feel like the trines to Mars, especially of Mercury, very constructive because Mars is answering to Mercury at the end of the day, right? And that feels constructive to me just because it feels like Mercury's already taking on this sort of experimental role, trying to figure out, okay, as we're, you know, preparing to deal with potential threats or like, you know, whatever was revealed during that conjunction to Pluto, um, it's giving Mars sort of this intelligence to move and to act and deal with potential problems as they come up. And it's just very constructive for that, I think. Yeah, it feels like someone's handling logistics mm-hmm. in a way that like Mars and Gemini isn't necessarily in the mix. Like, because I can think, you know, like <laughs> I just feel like, you know, Mars and Gemini can be just be like throwing books around, you know, and like Mercury now is like, I'm going to catch them. I'm going to put them in stacks and I'm going to figure out how we mobilize. Like, it's like the logistics have been handled. The mm-hmm. data can now be productive. Which is that, you know, we started the year with both of these planets in retrograde and potentially feeling like a big lack or stuckness around their energy. And this feels mm-hmm. like a bit of a peak around like how much they can get moving. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Like, especially in the Mars and Mercury ruled areas of your life, mm-hmm. especially if you were looking for that sort of new beginning in them that you didn't get in January. Especially Gemini. Do... <laughs> Gemini's yeah. Yeah, I think that you're really going to get sort of like the gears moving in those areas of life by the time, you know, the end of February rolls around. So that does feel constructive. I mean, it also feels good for just plotting, like period. Yeah, definitely make some plots for sure. Um, Hash hash plots, build a world, build a video (laughs) game, write a book. You know. Yeah, write a book. Um, you know, um, if you have some enemies, write about all the ways you're planning their downfall. Like, who knows? Just <laughs> publish. <laughs> yeah. I mean, one thing I will comment on before you know we wrap up is that I think by this point, still Saturn is basically the final dispositor of like yep. everything in the sky at yep. this point. So last word. Yeah. <laughs> Just keep that in mind, I will say. <laughs> yep. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. It's such a Saturn thing to do. It's also like, just remember, there will be consequences. There will be consequences and lasting ones at that because it's a fixed Saturn, right? Mm-hmm. So really be careful of the choices you're making because they could be really permanent, I think. For sure. Yeah. It's like, it's not always like sometimes picking a fight can feel like so good, right? And it, gives, it relieves something in us, but it's also like... Sometimes I remind myself, like, is this a fight that I want to last for the next three years? Like, not really. So I'm just going to not. So could be a helpful thing to remember. <laughs> yeah. Choose your battles, friends. Choose your battles. Totally. On that note, is there anything that you feel like you, any last words that you would like to say? I feel like you've already dropped the mic in a big way uh, around this month, around this forecast that you'd like to say before we talk about where we can find you more on the internet? I mean, I really like February. I think it's one of the calmer months of the year. And it's one where, you know, you can pivot effectively because, you know, this is where the sun moves out of the fixed sign into a mutable sign. And there is a lot of fluidity at the beginning of the month, which feels good for reorienting yourself, especially, you know, because we got onto a slow start to 2023. I mean, the end of the month does kind of take us towards, you know, what March is going to bring. But I would say, you know, just take it easy in the first half of the month and just try to take those opportunities for forward movement towards the end. Yeah. Yeah. And choose your battles wisely. Yes. Um, <laughs> that being said, um, I had so much fun doing this with you. And where would you like people to get obsessed with you on the internet, your podcast, your handles, your links? Where do you like people to find you? And if you have any um, openings or things coming up or courses or classes, some things like that, that you would like people to know about, um, would you mind sharing those? Of course. And thanks again for having me on, Mary Grace. This was super fun. Um, I would say, like, obviously, I'm on Twitter as Tour. I have my website, astraltour.com. 
I am in the process of finishing up edits for my Davison Workshop Part 2 class. So if you can't attend Norwalk later this year to come see me talk about the Davison, it's worth investigating my workshops because I have a previous one recorded as well. Um, Pow and I are in the process of wrapping up our Planetary Joys series on Fixed Astropod and... I am currently trying to keep up a lively Substack, um, which is called the Lotus Garden on Substack, which is astraltora.substack.com, you know, uh, where I try and fail to <laughs> write a blog post every Thursday. It's been more like every Saturday. Oh, okay. it might have to be Saturday now because Thursday is kind of hard. But <laughs> yeah, um, other than that, like. Yeah, I'm I'm on the internet, podcasting, blogging. Yeah. Being alive. Being alive. <laughs> we'll, we'll definitely share all of those in the show notes so that you're very clickable and findable. And again, thank you so much for joining me for this. I had a real I had a lot of fun doing this. Me too. So thank you. Okay. Bye guys. Thank you for participating in this conversation with us. If you enjoyed the episode, please take a few moments to subscribe to the show, leave us a review, and share the episode. These tiny tasks help our independent podcast so much. Be sure to also check out the links below to learn more about any free resources, guests, or things we talked about today. Our intro and outro music was created by artists Aaron Palovic and Jared Kelly. Our podcast logo was created by Elaine Stevenson, and this show is produced by Softer Sound Studio. Thank you for being here. Be well. Peace. <laughs>